Poets Yopcast for February 12th, 2018. Featuring poet Hala Alyan leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Creighton Blinn, Gerald Wagoner, Carl Iglesias, Layla Katovich, Denise Bell, Alan Braverman, Bonnie Belay, Harvey Sauce, Del Lemon, Dan Skaggs, Judy Schneier, Tim Gerber-Fleury, Ellen Ritberg, Nawal Muradovich, Julia Knobloch, Shara Hardison, and 2017 Yawper of the Year, Emily Blair. So, let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yawp Open Mic for February. Enjoy. This is the Brooklyn Poets Yawp Open Mic. Looks like we've grown since the workshop. Everyone, everyone got wind of what I said in the workshop about people losing their passion or something. They're like, fuck that guy. <laughs> Show him. Come out to the open mic. Uh, looks like the music is back downstairs. All right, we had, we had one month. <laughs> no music. They listen to the podcast, and they're like, they're like, this podcast is not the same without the, without the ambient sounds in the background. Uh, I'm Jason Koo, if you don't know me, the uh, MC for the open mic, and uh, we have a bunch of announcements. Uh, the first announcement is a Brooklyn Poets-related announcement. Next Friday, we have uh, the first installment of the Brooklyn Poets Reading Series of 2018, February 23rd. It's in Bushwick at 100 Bogart. You may remember the reading we had there last September with Dines Smith. It's like over 100 people, people spilling on the sidewalks, incredible, Tony's Pizza, bro, it's free pizza, and like... Tons of dessert that nobody ate, and uh, it was the most food we've ever had. It was all free, too, so if you missed that one, you missed, it was a bad one to miss. Say that again? The L train. The L train. Yeah. Yeah, the L train goes to, uh, I think it's Morgan Ave. It's, uh, it's right across from, uh, you might have to, Bonnie, yeah. But I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll make that commitment for this reading, <laughs> especially now that I have you on record here. <laughs> Um, that reading is a special. We get a lot of people with uh, new books out. Lynn Melnick, uh, fantastic poet, has got a new book out called uh, Landscape with Sex and Violence. Uh, Natalie Eilbert, who many of you know, who's taught for us several times, uh, taught at the retreat and our workshops. In fact, is teaching at this year's retreat as well. Uh, has a fantastic new book called uh, Indictus. And uh, lastly, Shane McRae, who just moved here. Uh, I was prepared to fly the guy in, but then I found out he teaches at Columbia. I was like, great. Save some money, <laughs> and you're close. And so he's going to read, too. He's got a fantastic book that was also uh, long-listed, not, not long-listed, actually a finalist for the National Book Award last year. Uh, I realized it just said fantastic three times, which I blame on uh, my future father-in-law, who says fantastic all the time. <laughs> it's like his favorite English word. Apparently, it's infiltrating my self-conscious. Uh, my self-conscious, my unconscious. So that's the main announcement we have for next Friday. It is a free reading, open to the public. Uh, it'll start at 8, a little bit later than usual. Uh, we should have some food for you. We'll definitely have wine. 
it'll be a great time. There's tons of shit to do there in Bushwick uh, afterward. It's super gentrified now, so, uh, you know, you might as well try to enjoy it. Uh, as it's happening, I guess. Uh, but the poetry uh, will not be gentrified. Well, it will be and it won't be. <laughs> but uh, it will surely be good. Um, I just I like all these flyers here. We have a, a few announcements from people. Uh, this is just some of the organic growth that's happening from our community. This is an old student of mine from Broken Poets, Andrew Bader, who now goes to Hunter College. Uh, he's in their MFA program. He started this thing called Verse, which is a, it's basically like a poetry playlist that you get in your inbox every week, which is pretty cool. So I left some postcards over there if you want to check it out. I'm assuming it's free, <laughs> but maybe it's not. Uh, I think you get up to 10 poems, and I, I'm assuming they read them to you, or maybe they're, maybe they're like, they're emailed. Oh, so you're on this. Nice. Is it good? Yeah. You can vouch for it? Okay, great. <laughs> so that's, that's Verse, and I think they have, uh, they have some t-shirts too. They sent me one. Pretty cool. Uh, this is Harvey's thing. I'm sure he'll tell you about it when he comes up here. The Artful Dodger, Dodgers, sorry, plural, poetry series. The next one is coming on February 25th. It's an open mic from 1 to 3 at the Montauk Club. Super fancy. Uh, I haven't been there myself, but I'm assuming it's, like, amazing. How many you guys, a lot of you have been there, right? Yeah, super fancy. Yeah. Is it fancier than this? <laughs> and uh, last, uh, actually, we have a, a couple other announcements. Uh, where's Helen? Helen has a, uh, uh, a trailer that's coming out for her new play, which opens in April. So let's give Helen a big round of applause. Do you want to say something about it real quick? Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram. This is Instagram. It's called Honey Dip Girls. And I will have flyers <laughs> at next month's Honey Dip Girls. Yeah. Um, there you go. Brooklyn Poets Yop. Okay. Um, all the information is on there. And we also have a website. Honey Dip Girls.com. Sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. Honey Dip Girls. Um, I don't, I don't really have a witty comment about that, but uh, <laughs> I can personally vouch for Helen, very talented, very strong. Also, she carried a bunch of shit in here uh, <laughs> that uh, went unseen by many of you. Uh, and then one of our longtime yoppers, Alex Giorgio, has a, a new short film about Elizabeth Bishop, one of my all-time favorite poets. She just uh, started a Kickstarter for it, and uh, I think she was going to say a few words, so why don't you just come up here real quick? Or you can just say it over there if you want, or, or come here, whatever. All right. And do you play uh, Elizabeth Bishop in the film? Yeah, it's pretty uncanny. You look like Elizabeth Bishop when she was when she was a kid. I mean, when you have your, like your hair up and stuff. At least I thought you did. Uh, do you guys read Elizabeth Bishop? Yeah, one of the all-time, definitely one of the all-time greats. Maybe top ten all-time, like all countries, all languages. Who knows? I really only know English poetry, <laughs> but anyway, uh, on to the festivities. This is the Broken Poets Yop open mic. There's a lot of people standing in the back, it's, and I know all of them, and they're really intimidating with <laughs> me right now. I don't know why exactly, because they're really not intimidating at all, all four of those people. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, this is the open mic. You get three minutes on the mic, one poem max if you are on the list. And if we get to the wait list, same rules apply to you. We do this so as many poets get up here to read as possible. The event does go on. People always go over. It's fine. Nobody's going to like kill you or anything, but we're all going to judge you silently. So uh, please keep to your time. It's, it's good. Good for the community. Good for your karma. Uh, builds goodwill. And uh, yeah. Uh, we record the open mic as a podcast, which we call the Yopcast. You can subscribe to it on iTunes and rate us five stars. That would be very helpful. Um, what do I want to say about that? Read into the mic. Make sure not to turn the mic off. There's a switch up here. Happens sometimes. And every month we vote for poem of the... M oh, I should say about the podcast. If you don't want to be in the podcast, that's fine. Just tell me and I can take you off the podcast. It just requires a little bit of extra work, but that's totally fine. It's unpaid labor, but, you know, whatever, whatever's good for the community and for you. And uh, last but not least, we vote for the poem of the month every month, of course. Makes sense, poem of the month every month. And the way you do that is by voting uh, via text message and the number to vote if you don't know it already. I'm about to give it to you, so prepare yourselves mentally or with a writing device, 718-374-1953. And I ask that you wait till the end to vote for a poem of the month. It's really probably best if you just tell me the poet's name. I'll be reading the names over and over again throughout the night. I'm not going to remember the poetry titles probably. So if you just have the poet's name, that's the easiest way. Do not tell your friends to vote. This happened uh, a couple of times uh, recently. And something we're apparently going to have to crack down on now. Going to have to get the police involved. But uh, you cannot tell people that are not present to vote for you or for other people. It's like... I mean, the incentive isn't that great, <laughs> right? So the 12 winners of Poem of the Month uh, face off at the end of the year in our Poem of the Year Smackdown. Many of you are here for that in December. And there is a cash prize. It's 250 It's pretty good, but it's certainly not something you need to be telling your friends to, <laughs> to send in votes about, right? It's more just, you know, for the... The glory of winning and uh, the, the praise from all your peers here. So, um, again, good karma. If you don't vote for yourselves, that's also cool. And uh, support other poets and don't, don't call in BS votes. Okay, uh, anything else? Arthur's not here, so don't have anyone else. You're the former Yop of the Year. Am I forgetting anything? Okay. <laughs> Uh, kicking off our open mic, or our feature reader before the open mic proper begins, is our professor who led you in a terrific workshop just a few minutes ago. Give it up for Hala Alyan. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Hi again. Um, I grabbed the wrong poem, so I'm going to read this off my phone. Just one piece. I haven't had a drink in seven years. Call it whiskey. The skin knees of blackout, all fist and no song. I used to stand on stages to say I will break someone's heart before this year is over. This was before safe words, pine cone. Call it inheritance, how my mother taught me to skip breakfast, to eat grapefruits instead of bread, panic when the phone rings, call it surrender. I never did like your father, your blue pills, your white pills, your afternoon thirst. At least the words came back. At least the songs turned up so loud my teeth hurt. I wish there was another woman. Sometimes I dream her up, 
nylon stockings under a miniskirt, hair straight and blonde and sex like a wolf whistle. Call it whiskey. I haven't had a drink in seven years and someday I'll have a daughter because I don't have a flag, because I need to keep my grandmother alive, because I left a city I should have stayed in, because otherwise, when I die, Fatma dies all over again. And so does Akka, and so does Damascus, and so does Iraq Swedan. Call it scared money. I used to stand on stages and say I will forgive myself for the future, but when I thought you were leaving, I punched the bathroom door. I skipped breakfast. I called the wrong person just to hear him say please. Call it whiskey. Thought you were leaving and I, seven years, I, seven years, I poured three fingers into a mug and held it to my lips just to see if I would do it. Call it not again. Patron saint of alcoholism and legs led astray in disappointment. Call it three fingers poured down the sink and I'm no good at playing martyr. I turn the other cheek only so I can say I did and I've always loved men who love their grief more than me. Call it like it is. I'm not an atheist. I'm not your Barcelona girl, but I'm the next best thing. I am my mother's daughter and I will turn this house into a ghost town. Call it miracle. A stake, all fist and no song, the asphalt I revisit every night, the abortion dream, the rape dream, the hand-me-down dream, call it good morning, good morning, I'll pretend I came to you pure and unfucked as Eve, a blank slate for you to mark, call it misled, because love is like an instrument, it's not supposed to sound good when you're practicing, call it sorry. And I'll call it God and you'll call it fluke and still we choose this and choose this and why? Call it sorry. Sorry for ruining Christmas. Sorry for my snake tongue, my panic heart. Sorry for what I told you. Sorry for what I didn't and for what I might still do. Call it the worst of me. Call it America. How this place made me something that other people would want. How I let you believe it. How I'm afraid the house I've wrecked is my own. Call it gone. I haven't had a drink in seven years and I don't stand on stages anymore and anything can haunt you if you just give it time. Call it exit wound. I never told you how sometimes I press my ear against the door just to hear your music, keep tempo with my fingertips, how I have stolen recordings of your voice that I play when I'm alone. This is how we make love. This is how we find our way back to each other, undressing like suitcases after a long trip in Nashville, in Spain, in the back roads of Georgia. When you start the car engine and the radio comes on, I sing. Call it whiskey. Call it seven years, come and gone, a better woman than me. I know an addict when I see one, and I want a daughter because I've left too many cities, forgotten too many languages. I don't expect you to understand. I'm sorry. I'm home. I'm yours. Call it gone. Gone, darling. Someday we will be gone. All ash and bones and keepsake, a voicemail someone can't bear to erase. Someday this earth will remember nothing of what we called each other. How we pressed our bodies like music notes crowding a white page will know nothing of the music we made, of the daughters we did or didn't have. Someday I'll show you what I mean by God. Someday I'll learn how to drive, take you to the lake I loved in Oklahoma, the backyard I got my first bruise. We'll drive all night, stay on I-40, put enough states between us and sunrise. We'll sleep in the back seat, in the Hail Mary towns on the good, hard dirt. And when I start the car engine and the radio comes on, you'll sing. Thank you.
Oh, damn. <laughs> ah, that's setting the bar high. That's some, that's some good shit. I have to give props to Nawal Muradovich and Anna for uh, first telling me about Halal. I was like, who the fuck is this? They're like, you gotta, you gotta check out this poet. That's true. But didn't you tell her? Yeah. 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 So all it took was I just like watched one video and I was just like, oh my lord. I was like, I must have this poet in my life all the time. Thank you. Uh, we are on to the open mic. Our first reader is a old friend of ours. We haven't seen him in a while. Give it up for Creighton Blinn. Hey. Oh, I had no idea. Thank you. All right. Follow the future. Why did she do it? Why would she follow the future glimpsed within those inky shapes, placing faith in intangible prophecy, dissipating like smoke yet conveying the full weight of truth, tragic? inevitable. Perhaps there's wisdom in that old adage proclaiming it better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. If no joy is permanent, neither is any heartache, and we are never bereft of hope as long as we refuse to be overwhelmed by a glass half full of sorrows, when instead we may savor sensations made richer for acknowledging their nature fleeting, as dust to dust, love to loss, loss to hope. Thank you. Thank you, Creighton. Efficient, good height, everything good about that. Uh, our next poet is a regular yopper now, it seems. We're in his tweed tonight, so uh, give him a warm welcome for the fashion statement, Gerald Wagoner. Hi. Uh, first of all, uh, I owe a lot of this poem to uh, Vanessa Jimenez Gap because I used the bridge. Uh, I talked to her, I wrote her, I sent her money, she sent her the poem, I sent her the poem, she wrote me things back, and we did it again, and it took me over a year, or not over a year, it, it's a, that's a lie. It took me almost a year to break through all the stuff. Okay, and one footnote. Uh, when I refer to LeMay, that is Curtis LeMay, he was the uh, commander of the uh, Army Air Corps Pacific Theater, World War II. A letter to Mari. Use the mic. Good idea. <laughs> Is that the mic? All right, good. A letter to Mari. We had cremated mom. We're sorting now her things, asking which things go to a landfill burial, which nouns found in closets and in drawers by, no by donation are dispersed through church, the least we could do. 
The objects that we accrue alive to this world, which remain useful? Which are treasures of our past to be divided by we two sons alone? There were boxes of old family photos. One by one, the staid stock of my gene pool posed patiently through time. Shots of mom and her mom as ingenue, grandpa sporting dash. Dad proud in his Dixie cup in navy blue. Images of our being in the world, in time. Wrapped in the chatter of recall and reminisce, I failed. I did not see your eyes turn inward. I did not hear the silence that spoke of other losses. If there were magic, when the electoral voice of the self-checkout intones, please select your language. I would choose the language you did not speak. And in that Japanese, I would tell you how I return. Return to say what then I could not say. They named it Operation Meeting House. If I could think in you, I would know in bone. LeMay aimed to hurt. That night, he meant his low-level Tokyo raid of incendiary intent to level, levy pain on a people. That night, a city made of paper and wood lay raised in an inferno of repined lust. That night, 100,000, war reckons in round numbers, persons perished. If I could hear, my bone would know. LeMay torched the traces of the dead and the quick. I would know, war's fire takes at ground zero more than lives. War's fire turns objects, the things of this world, to ash, wind-scattered. War's fire robs the not yet born. War's fire, my bone would hum, stole memory from our sons. Move the mic. Thank you. Thank you, Gerald. Uh, our next reader. Okay, our next reader is, I think, a newcomer. Give it up for Carl Iglesias. All right. I am a newcomer, but it feels good to be here. I feel like I'm in the right place. Um, so I read an article in the New York Times. Um, I've been di diving into a lot of the work. A lot of my work has been around uh, what's been happening in Puerto Rico because I haven't been there. So I've been trying to meet it halfway. Uh, an article in the New York Times has an um, uh, interview with, the, with a man in 
he said, uh, other than the house, the thing I felt like I lost, um, that I missed the most was my mango tree and knew all of my secrets. So I ran with it. <laughs> I don't need this. Eulogy for a mango tree. I'm still the boy in the navy shorts running around you with my shirt wrapped around my head, lifting a fallen branch, now a leafed sword. You whisper a breeze I could barely hear, and I nod as if I understand. Did you think less of me when home was a spiraled gust and I returned to the thunder of my birth, fist rushing into wall, hiding violently? Some secrets sound like boiling salt water, don't they? Carved my name into you with a parrot's claw. You were there. I fell asleep outside my door on Cobble Road. Did you whisper our stories to the horses in summer? On the darkest nights where I'd stumble home a puddle of myself, why didn't you just drink me? God, lift you, wake me up with sweet prayers as if to not embarrass me. Who else do you offer refuge in your shadows? What other faces have you saved? You understood that the stars don't need to see everything when the sky arrived masked as a bursting mango. I'd share a cafecito with you, scoff in your bark. You'd admit you thought you'd never see the day I'd like my coffee without cream. It's my secret to everlasting life. What's yours? Tell me. Tell me. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Fantastic. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> uh, our next reader is uh, another old friend of mine. Uh, old friend of ours. Old friend of mine. Both. <laughs> uh, is it Layla? Le Layla, right? Okay, give it up for Layla Katovich. Katovich. Layla Katovich. Hello. This is, this is called uh, The Big and Small. The cells in our body look microscopically like the universe, like the universe when photographed by Hubble. Imagine the vast hollowness between cells, the vacuum of the body, seeding disks accreting to galaxies, families gathered, clustering close to gravity. Quiet pulls and pushes, waxes and wanes. Just watch the moons. Families spend eternity expanding, running, waiting for the ordinary murdering massive black hole at the center. Thank you. Thank you. Almost too quick for pictures, but uh, I think I got—I think I got something in there. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, our next poet is like a rock star right now. She just won a Brooklyn Poets Fellowship. Very excited for her. Many of you know her. Give it up for Denise Bell. Can we just put it back? 
um, the poem I, I, I'm going to read is part of a, an unpublished collection, and maybe the people say, why not? And uh, uh, it's, called, it's part of a collection called um, Arias from the Edge. And the poem I'm reading is Limbo. Her screams, curses, terrorize some in her mist. A few run, several call her filthy pig. Others wonder why she exists. She pushes her cart, filled with her present, future, past. She spends her days begging, dumpster diving. She stoops, pisses anywhere. Convulsed faces turn away. Why hide? Dignity is for those who have a place to go. She steals away on subways and duck righteous this. Someone screams, kill that rabid bitch. She shrieks, Philistines, I'm your father's child. Homeless advocates give the city a lot of heat. Social workers get out, gather her up. Her voices are muted. Her hands shake, lips twitch. She's sprayed. Is it to kill her or the lice? The advocates are silenced. She's thrown back on the street. Meds wear off. Voices rage. No money, no sleep. She's blessed with a few moments of clarity. She chooses a way to, to be free. A young man will deliver her. She'll scream. Your mama is nothing but a hoe, slut. You're a crack bastard, check baby. She knows his pride won't allow him to shrug her off. She prays he's just, he'll dispatch her into nothingness where there'll be no more forced promises, understanding, hope. Thank you, Denise. It's hot in here, huh? <laughs> I thought I lowered the temperature, but uh, maybe, maybe it's just the heater is on now. Anyway, I'll try to do something about that. In the meantime, take a deep breath. Do you want to? You want to lead another <laughs> another breathing exercise? Uh, is Priya here? Priya Puliampat. Negative. All right, our next poet is a longtime yapper, fierce man, passionate human being. Give it up for Alan Braverman. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I love taking photographs and uh, sold some of my works. The poem I'm going to read is called The Camera. And uh, it, sadly, I replaced this digital camera with my expensive iPhone, but uh, I still love it, and uh, I misplaced it. I'm not sure where it is. The camera. <laughs> Through the eyes of a photographer, my lens is solitary, condensed into a Canon power sh a shot digital, where a three by four inch screen captures the world beyond my reach. 
in two dimensions, pictures of landscapes embraced by the sun, streams, rivers, and oceans as reflecting pools, where fish swim under mirror images of clouds. The sky and other earthly splendors are not ignoring the diminishing wildlife as we plant the damaging seeds of urban blight, all resurrected in a high-tech canvas, ready to enlarge, diminish, or leave in real time. My index, index finger presses the proverbial button to hopefully focus on the artistry of nature where images are preserved for posterity or reaching for the delete key while waiting for the natural world to pierce again through the singular eye of my camera. Then, saved on a non-cerebral memory card to be transported to iPhoto, where projected images can appear on the computer, and like the hand of God, I can alter the picture making day into night or transform the image from color to black and white. Thank you, Alan. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> yeah, just wanted to get credit for it, you know. Cooling you all down, you know. It's the little touches that make a good event a great event. <laughs> Definitely make us not sweat. Uh, our next poet is probably going to be in Bushwick next Friday. I'm very excited about that. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. Um, this is one of the poems that a series I've been writing, I read to at the Montauk Club last uh, couple, 10 days ago. Being slapped down. When you stand to speak, you're slapped down. Told you don't understand the nuanced difference between sexual assault and an appropriate medical procedure. He groped you. He twisted his fingers into you. Howling institutional indifference gives your molester all the time he needs to blow through the lives of countless other girls. Wearing four pairs of underwear and having your mother in the office doesn't stop the abuse. You find yourself outside, alone, in the elements. Men cannot hear you. The wind knocks you down. Complaints that go back for years aren't looked into. The FBI doesn't call. You speak in open court, holding your sister's hand, weeping, your words whispered in front of the court, your parents and the TV cameras, wishing you'd done something else, wishing you'd taken a gun with you. Nice work. <laughs> uh, damn, it's a good one. Uh, is Timothy Wojcik here? No. 
Thank you. Uh, our next reader is the wonderful host of the Artful Dodgers Poetry. We might give it up for Harvey Sauce. Yeah, we got that about right, I guess. Uh, as Jason has been so kind to tell you, uh, since this past summer, I've been uh, hosting a monthly series of readings, uh, which primarily have been open mic thus far, but will be features with open mic starting this month. Uh, the next one is uh, January, January, <laughs> right, time machine, uh, February 25th, 1 to 3, at the Montauk Club. I've handed around some flyers apparently didn't read didn't bring enough uh, but there's still probably some up there uh, directions and uh, contact information on the back you can check us out at artful Dodgers poetry on Facebook or Harvey Sasa on Facebook uh, if you give me uh, contact information I'll put you on our mailing list it's a wonderful place uh, you generally readers have about five minutes to read except of course for the features this one is uh, I'm going to break a cardinal rule, which is don't uh, read anything that you're not sure you've actually finished writing. Uh, and since I made some changes while I was sitting there that I can't incorporate because it's a PDF, uh, I got my <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, so uh, we'll see if I can remember it. Anyway, this one is called Comfort Women, 1940-1945. If I can see it. Let's see. What this grinning Japanese fellow was doing to her needed no translation. Imperious as Hirohito, though naturally of considerably lower rank, he prized open her legs to invade once more her southernmost peninsula. Claiming her as Hirohito in his Japan had claimed Korea and its Koreans since 1910 just one among the countless soldiers and airmen, helmeted or unhelmeted, who had bivouacked by turns inside her, if only briefly. She never learned their names, nor wanted to. When she closes her eyes at day's end, she tries to disremember their faces, those of the leering, nameless, and faceless Japos who thrust themselves sharply into her like bayonets into a training post. Not only men, but also bonsai boys who dove in at a moment's notice, crashing down upon her, a flock of xenophobes luxuriating in the tilt-a-whirl pleasure of her company. Whose comfort was it, anyhow? Certainly not hers. Meat, ungently tenderized on a mat not thick enough to qualify as a futon, made sticky with the stiff salute of their oozy, woozy salutations as they wiped themselves off, those boys and men. On what passed for her bed linens, a thin shift to both sleep under and wear. The dishonor of it all laying heavily upon her shame and unwanted comforter on a hot summer's night. No late-day half-hearted apology from the Japanese government, however well-intentioned, can rid her of her unearned hair shirt of ill repute or exfoliate built-up layers of threats and beatings. Endurance, 
biting her tongue till it bled so as not to give capital offense was her only form of defense. Enduring what no one ever should have to endure. Used coarsely as one might a urinal, stand up soldiers shaking off their last few drops on her, laughing as they jaunted out the door of the so-called comfort station to rape again. Black sheep, black sheep, who will marry you now, knowing we have had you? Their truth, her truth. Her body, once an untouched pleasure palace, a freshly risen Xanadu, long since pounded by misuse into flatbread that no one seeking sustenance of a wife will have, complains of arthritis, and that spinsterhood has become her lot in life, dishonored and discomforted. At odd times, she recalls a bow one beribboned infantryman, nameless if not entirely faceless, gave her after wiping himself off, before, as luck would have it, and as yet unknown to her, himself being bayoneted in February of 1943, during the retaking by Americans of Guadalcanal. That lingering, can't shake it look of satisfaction on his jaundiced yellow face after a particularly mean fuck, mocking her even now. Thank you, Harvey. It's one of the great, still unrecognized, I think, historic crimes. The, uh, I mean, how do you even describe it? The comfort women is a really horrible, ironic term for what happened to the thousands and thousands of Korean and Japanese and Filipino women, I think, too. Anyway, uh, great downer. Thank you, Harvey. <laughs> our next reader is an uh, old friend of ours. <laughs> Give it up for Del Lemon. How you doing? Thanks. <laughs> um, uh, this is called Them, Him, me, us. I wonder if two people can come back to you in the form of one person. Perhaps because I didn't know who I was when the two people were alive, and now I do. The third person, who reminds me of the other two, is smiling and treating me in a respectful way that I was never treated before. Now the others are dead, and I didn't get a chance to say goodbye or even to admit that I miss them. It just seemed as if there wasn't any time because so many people were dying. One person who was dying told me that the other one had died, a handsome man with light blue eyes and jet black hair. He had a genius IQ but dropped out of high school to organize for the Communist Party in Canada. Then he dropped out of politics to become an art curator and writer. Then he dropped out of the art world to work in a video store. He sent me a poem that reminded him of me, and it reminded me of me, too, when I read it. 
I gave him my typewriter and I got a computer. He picked it up on his bicycle and I don't think I ever saw him again. The person who told me he had died also died. Then the second person who reminds me of the third person died as well killed himself. We had talked about being suicidal as kids while eating ice cream cones together one summer, but I never imagined that he was still suicidal. He was so fierce and determined to sell art, flying to success and then falling like a star. I felt shock. I had been generous with him and he treated me badly, but he treated himself worse. Still he was adorable with his small eyes, big eyeglasses, mischievous grin, and ferocious ambition. And now this third person who reminds me of the other two, as if he had all their talents combined. He even has eyeglasses and loves the most sophisticated art and reads the smartest book. And he's being so respectful, perhaps because of my age and all that I have been through, including surviving so many deaths. I feel it's if they are being nice to me through him and that comforts me. I think they would want to be supportive of me now if they were still here. And this third person makes me feel that they are not really gone that they are here with him and me, that they are here with us, that they are us, that we are them. I get so confused. But when he smiles, I feel them smiling too. Thank you, Del. Always good. Uh, to recap a little bit, take a brief moment to do this. That was Del Lemon. Before that was Harvey Sauce. Before that was Bonnie Belay, Alan Braverman, Denise Bell, Leila Katovich, Carla Glacius, Gerald Wagoner, and Creighton Blinn. Number once again to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. I will repeat that several times. Um... Is Dan Skaggs' friend here? Okay, it is time for Dan Skaggs. Give it up for Dan Skaggs. I like just got here. All right. I wasn't ready, but now I am. Okay. I've never had one of these mics before. I still don't, but it's in front of me. Um, there's an idea I like that if you can... Oh. So I, yeah, okay. Um, that if you can dance your truth, then you're really living it, no? Huh? I haven't, I've been in proximity. <laughs> I just need to speak closer? There we go. Okay, so this is a poem about dancing. And now we dance. Are you coming? I'll teach you. I'm learning too. Let's start with our toes. First the big ones, you pick one, two, one, and two, one, and two. Who could dance alone when there's me and you, one and two, everyone? With everyone, it's back to you. Dancing, really dancing now, me and you. Can you feel it? I can feel it through and through. Me and you, one with you. Let me take your hand, it's mine now, we're together, it's true. How did this happen for me and you? One toe tap, a hip wiggle, an arm flap, and a smile that towers above my face. And you with yours shining true eyes alight with real light, honest to goodness light me, and you reflecting one and two. Swallow me up, in you I am alight with light, toe tapping, palms wrapping on knees, hips swing from the trees, I jump and you jump as high as we can see, hand above and feet beneath, balanced on knees, you and me, toe tapping, hand clapping, 
clapping, swinging high above the trees, dancing. We're really dancing now, new, me and you. Now please, please come dance with me hand in hand. Now how that would feel, you and me hand in hand, high, high above the trees and beneath the seas on comets and rainbows. You and me, I soar at thought alone of what could be one toe tapping still even if it's just me. But if we danced, really danced together, you and me, oh, what would be toe tapping you and me just one dance? I think you'll see, I hope you'll see, maybe we'll see toe-tapping together, you and me. All right, thank you. That was worth it. <laughs> it was like a, it was, had a very important note here. You gotta wait till 8.45. Dan Skaggs, his friend, to arrive. Uh, is that a Spurs hat you're wearing, by the way? Uh, how about those calves? <laughs> calves are looking better now, aren't they? Come at me now, bitches. Talking a lot of shit for two months. That time is over. <laughs> really, no one was talking shit, but it's all in my head. Our next reader won Poem of the Month last month for her immortal poem about Julie Hart and Minnesota. Give it up for Judy Schneier. Thank you. How I Learned to Float. He leans backward over my arm falling back for a little nap on my lap after his oatmeal before he brushes his teeth. He rests against me. My hand strokes his cheek. A wave rises from my stomach to my chest, my face, behind my eyes, pressing out with a familiar burn. I see my hand spotted, veins standing up, knuckles wrinkled, looks like my mother's hand, but the skin's not quite as loose, and my fingers are still straight. Getting old is hard, but easier for her than me. My father never told us she was unbearable to live with, or refused to answer the phone when she called. He never left to trade up. I got caught in a riptide. My mother couldn't see the danger. I struggled and called out to my son's father, but he stood in the sand silent. It's better not to fight the tide, even if it takes you where you don't want to go. Float, don't swallow salt water. My hand rests on this boy. I know he will leave soon towed out by a flood of hormones like his brother. Unlike my mother, I will stand by myself as I watch them swim away. But now he's resting against me. He flung himself backward, knowing I'd be captured by his warm, heavy head. Thank you, Judy. 
Judy dances, too, by the way. She dances with Frankie Martinez. Genius. One of the true geniuses of uh, New York City. Uh, do you guys know Frankie Martinez? No? Google him. Also, uh, Adam Hoopengardner here is uh, one of the great tango teachers of New York City. Give him a round of applause. Yeah. And, uh, we're, taking, we're taking tango classes with him right now on Thursday. You guys should join us. It's only $200. For <laughs> he owes me a lot of drinks. Also, he, also he's a Cavs fan, so uh, that's also awesome. That's the last time I'm going to talk about the Cavs tonight. Our next reader is Timothy Gerber Fleury. Give it up for Tim. Hey guys. So for a little bit of um, background, uh, my hometown back in France uh, was like is thought to have been founded like between 2,000 and 500 BC. And when I went back uh, during the holidays. This poem was inspired by my visit and how a lot of history in such a town can be a weight on people. This is called Kenaboom. Look around you, city of wood. It's deep in the month of Kutios in the heart of spring. Yet there are lumps of snow on the banks of the Liger and sheets of ice on its waters. No boats will come this year. No trade will happen. Your wheat will rot in your lofts, and your wine will sour. In fact, no trade will happen ever again in your port. The Romans have not come since the last merchants were killed. You angered Caesar, and he comes wielding revenge. You're nothing more than huts behind wooden walls now. Your people beat their chests. They cover their heads and implore the gods while impending doom is coming. You will crumble and crumble again, and you will burn. Caesar is just, not merciful. But fear not, jewel of gold. It may be the end for you, but not for your ashes. You will be reborn. From the belly of your corpse, a new city will arise. You will be home of kings, and at your doorstep, barbarian herds will fail. You will be a symbol of freedom, and you will be glorious again. Yet, all the while you will become den for cowards, hiding behind the flag in church, a legion of antiquated beliefs. They are like snakes infested in your streets. You will let them settle and prosper. Too happy to be back on your feet, you said, whatever the cost. I am a son of your walls, looking up to you while you fail me. I will despise what you will become, but I will miss you dearly, making excuses for you at every corner and around every cobblestone. You are home to people I love the most, after all. Tim, I love that accent, man. 
It occurs to me you should be in like a war film or something. <laughs> when you were saying you will crumble and crumble again and burn. <laughs> that was incredible. All right, now you have a future moonlighting job there. Uh, our next poet is Ellen Ripper. Give it up for Ellen. So I hadn't submitted any poetry. I was lapsed. And I decided to send three poems to a, an anthology. It was a Persian poet who was doing um, accepting poems under 20 lines. And then she was subsequently hiring a translator. She's a Persian and had them translated. And all three got in. So um, it just came out. She's looking for places to read. Her name is Sudaba Saidnia. She's a poet herself. and. Um, I'll read one of them from the book. And if anybody does want to have readings, I volunteered to just spread the word for her. It's on Amazon. It's called Persian Sugar in English Tea. My poem's called Song of the City. A wash in ginkgo leaves on street, fans discarded, others brittle, curled, turning in, human life at terminus, and knowing it, receding. I photograph my shoe, perpetual motion, man as whirly gig, but smooth, man the purveyor. I buys life, I sell it to myself mostly. Sunrise umbilicus, obscured by objects urban, seen as nectarine band splayed across horizon, uncooked omelet, I perceive them all. Doorways, sidewalk art. One says, protect your heart, and I do. I gird it, unburthen it, rarely, and too few. Oh, the solitary life is a lonely life, is a riff on melody, a roundelay of song, and ah, and so, I sing it lustily, long. Thank you, Ellen. So you all cold now? Yeah. <laughs> I turned it back up. Soon you'll be sweating, and you'll be wishing you were cold. <laughs> it's tough here. Our next poet of the evening owes me a big favor, definitely, for getting her on this list. Give it up for Nawal Maradovich. supposed to talk about it. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so this poem is definitely a work in progress. Um, and it's a kind of an amalgamation of different, different poems in different places. Um, it's called Danger, Thin Ice. I guess it's easy to forget that frozen lakes still have water coursing through their veins, pulsing rhythms beneath silence, a snapshot of illusion. When flying back in time, a sunset can last hours. A breath seems to catch longer. 
An accordion and sitar can play several feet apart and it can still be more than just noise. There is magic in this, soulfulness as ever present. Raindrops pasted on a window of a coffee shop overlooking 27th and 8th. The music is integral, wind instruments unnecessary but preferred. Mind pictures vivid, memories mixed in with daydream. On the sidewalk, a man clumsily fixes his broken umbrella and continues walking, taking a new sip of coffee, a metaphor. If I had to choose between the relief of forgetfulness and a day under this rain with you, I would welcome the storm, an impractical hypothetical. I question the thoughtfulness often, an irony. If a moment fails to sustain you, draw a bridge and look back at it from the other side. At a distance, music always turns into waves and relief waits for you in seashells. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Somebody leave their coffee up here? <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks for taking that. By the way, take your cups downstairs at the end of this event. How long have we been doing this, people? Every, every month. Some people leave their cups here. It's just like, what are we, your wait staff? Come on. <laughs> These poor staff members of mine. No. Working, slaving, bringing your cups downstairs. Just, they leave here with battered self-esteems because you've subjected them to this slave labor. Might be exaggerating a little bit, but you know, you get the idea. Take your cups downstairs. <laughs> Our next poet is a former winner of Poem of the Year. Give it up for Julia Knobloch. Mother's Town. The snow in my poems. I wonder if it goes back to one night I barely remember. I must have been younger than five because my mother still had her white Volkswagen Beetle in that night with heavy snowfall when the car broke down near a place called Mutterstadt, Mother's Town. I don't remember if she told me to stay inside the car that was slowly getting cold while the snow covered the windshield and flower stickers outside, or if I walked with her along the highway to the nearest emergency phone, which could be far, snow falling around the fur-lined hood of her rabbit skin coat, she was later ashamed of having owned. I love the smell of it, how smooth and long it was. I don't know if the soldiers picked us up by chance or came after the emergency call. I don't know if they were American or German, or when my father came and drove us home. I remember the bright-lit office on the military base, my mother's red cheeks framed by her fur-lined hood, and the snow falling from a black sky. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just want to give a personal thank you to Bonnie Belay for just being an amazing audience member tonight. All right. That's, where's the enthusiasm from this side? Huh? 
Yeah. I like that you tried immediately, and they all left you. They just they abandoned you. No solidarity in this section. <laughs> Our next reader, one poem of the month last year. You all remember her. Give it up for Shara Hardison. I should say poem of the year, not poem of the month. This is called What Storms Bring. When I said I missed her, I meant the shadow of her face on my wall as she closed the door. I meant the metal clang of the storm cellar, how the rusted hinges used to scream in the wind, how her canned peaches crashed to the floor, bits of glass mixed in with the syrup, sharp and sweet. When I said forget it, I meant me because I thought that would be easier somehow. It's funny, no, I mean catastrophic, how some days feel heavier in the joints than others. Thunder still keeps me up at night. I can see it, the great trees swaying in the backyard, the one that crashed into our kitchen window, the other on the car outside. I can still hear her singing softly to herself. I mean praying. I mean trying not to feel alone. She knew things and led me to knowing what on earth to do when the lights go out, when the sun comes back and is good again. Thanks. Thank you. Sun comes back and it's good again. This section just got louder. Uh, <laughs> what to say? Looking at, looking at you, Gerber Flurries. <laughs> step up your game, Emma Rojas, neighbor. Come on. Where's the Jackson Street? You don't live on Jackson Street, but you do. You do? Oh shit, Jackson. She lives on Jackson Street. Where's the Jackson Street? You know, noise. Uh, this thread is going nowhere. Sorry. <laughs> Thought it was going to be funny. I don't think that was funny at all. <laughs> Our next reader was the Opera of the Year in 2017. Give it up for Emily Blair. which poem to read. Uh, um, so I'm going to read a weird one that's about telepathy because no one has read one about telepathy yet tonight. Um, and I guess I was thinking about how there used to be a lot of stuff about telepathy, like movies and books when I was a kid, and it's kind of gone out of style or something. I was thinking about why. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, I wish we had telepathy. Can you imagine a poetry reading with that? I wouldn't want to read a poem, get up and read a poem if I had telepathy. All right. Once we were telepaths. We donned blank expressions and purple tights, crafted defenses with metaphors of castles and caves. 
Our eyes turned disconcerting shades of silver as heads cocked, tables tilted. We heard voices from distant galaxies or the house next door. Beneath swirling cloaks, we were part rubber, part glue. Every parking lot was an astral plane for us. Parties were torture. But now our methods are way out of style. No more gleaming handcrafted helmets or swirling matrices of light. No more concentric circles emanating hotly from the temples. Instead, our heads throb with push notifications. Our hearts grow cold as a mood ring left on a windowsill. We wander forking paths through trees which never form a forest, alongside flickering streams that can't be traced to any source. Day by day, our hands give up their power to conduct until we sense vibrations only through glass, not ether or air. All that remains of our abilities is a strange hesitation as we pick out the perfect emoticon. The way the three dots linger as we wonder what you want us to feel, what thoughts we still might share. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> wow. That was the first standing ovation we've had here. Yeah. Bring back telepathy. That was awesome. So, there you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop. Open mic for February 12th, 2018. Apologies to our events assistants, Sebastian Bernard, Helen Hutner, as well as first-time yawper Rochelle Voiles for accidentally being cut off our yawpcast due to technical difficulties. I promise this won't happen again. Can't exactly promise, but I am making damn sure to try my best to make sure that never happens again. Thanks to our wonderful professor and uh, just an amazing poet, Hala Alyan, for not only leading our workshop, but featuring before the open mic. Hala has a new novel out as well that you should definitely check out. It's making big waves in the world of fiction and hopefully making her big money. Our next yop comes your way on March 12th, it's actually the same date as the February op, the 12th, that will be led by Shira Ehrlichman, who is teaching for Brooklyn Poets for the first time this winter. She's leading a workshop called Divine Rascals, and her YOP workshop will give you a little glimpse of what's going on in that group. Congrats to Carl Iglesias a Yop debuter for winning Poem of the Month for February for his fantastic poem, Eulogy for a Mango Tree. Carl has earned a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way at the December Yop, as well as free admission to a future Yop of his choice. For more info about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. You can also sign up for the open mic there. I recommend you sign up early because the open mic lineup always fills very quickly. 
We hope you've enjoyed this installment of the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast, and we hope to see you on March 12th for the next Yop with your Ehrlichman. Hope you're well. Celebrate stuff. I don't even know what that means, but that is a good general message. Don't hate. Love. Be excited. Celebrate. Be enthusiastic. And catch you next time in March. Bye.